Thanks, Jeff. The great Jonathan Hui. I'm looking forward to that. Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Look, we're just going gonna to get straight into this. I, I learned last week, I learned last week that I can speak in half an hour. I learned last week I can speak in half an hour. So we have an hour and five minutes. You know I'm going to use up an hour and five minutes. No, nah, but no, like, so we'll just, we'll pray, we'll pray. And that, yeah, I don't want to get sidetracked. I want to, want to share the, the burden God's laid upon my heart with you. And prayerfully we can all move on this journey together as God teaches us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, so much for what you are doing. We thank you that you are a God that answers prayer. We thank you that you are a God that is directly involved with each of our lives. We thank you, Lord, and pray that you will help us to see your hand at work. You will help us to live with you as our top priority. You will help us to follow the example that your Son has set for us, to persevere in that example, Lord, and most importantly, that we would seek to know you, not just about you, but to know you intimately as our God, as our friend, as our King, and as our Savior. And so as we carry on, Lord, as we look at your word, may you encourage our hearts. May you stir our hearts. May you give us a clear vision to see the greatness of who you are and be changed by that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is hope? What is hope? Why is it important? What, why, what makes hope such a major factor in people's lives? And when you look at the definitions of what hope and how hope is portrayed in the Bible. The Greek word hope is the word that, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's anticipation with pleasure. But I like these two words, expectation or confidence. Expectation is something you know is going to happen, something you know is going to occur. Whereas the dictionary definition says a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen or grounds for believing that something good might happen. There is a major difference between how the world sees what hope is and how the Bible portrays hope. See, the way the world portrays hope is that of wishful thinking, that of a longing or a desire that something good may come your way. That's what hope is or how hope is portrayed. It might be you hop in your car and your car's not working and you're like, I hope this starts. You're hoping that a situation might tell, I've done a lot of work, I hope I get that promotion. I hope I do well in my exam. There's that, that type of wishing that, that's entailed with that understanding as opposed to the biblical definition which is a expectation or confidence. And why you have that type of hope defined in the Bible is not because of your attitude towards it, but rather where your hope or who your hope is placed in. The foundation of where your hope is is what is important. And as we look at today's encouragement, we are encouraged to hope, taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through to 21, and the reason why we, in, in this particular passage, we're given three areas we are to be encouraged to hope in. And it's really quite interesting because these three areas are, we are to hope in our current status, we are to hope the way in the way the world is, and we are to hope for our guaranteed future. 
There are those three areas. I'm not going to read the passage. We're going to work our way through and through this whole passage. That word hope used in the Greek is actually found, and you know this in, say, Romans chapter 5, verse 4, when it says that perseverance is character. In character, there's hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, you have um, that you will, hope, oh, was it hope always, yeah. Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes. It's an assured confidence. Love always perseveres. Uh, in Titus chapter 2.13, we are told that we are to wait for that blessed hope looking to our future, and in numerous other places. And so as you look at that first thing in regards to where then do we find encouragement to hope in our current status, that is actually found in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. If you've got your Bibles, read along with me because it's not going to be up there. Turn your Bibles to chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And we read these two verses. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. You might look at that and think, how on earth do you draw hope in our current status from this particular passage? Our current status has so many blessings from which we can be encouraged with. Hence this charge at the beginning. He says, all of us should take view of such things. What are the such things he's talking about? These are the things that we were talking about last week. Remember last week we talked about this. The view of watching out for others in verses 1 to 4. The view of warning for ourselves in verses 5 and 6. The view of weighing up what's important in verses 7 to 11. And the view of wisely moving forward, of pressing on toward the mark in verses 12 to 14. It was in this view, a mature, a mature view and a maturing view, that followers of Jesus Christ were to have. And that means this. That means to take seriously the theological facts laid out for us and, and to live in accordance with the charge that has been laid out in this, in this particular passage. Because he says, if, we, if, if, if all of us should take a view of such things, do you know about watching out for others, for being aware? Do you, are you warn, have, taking heed to this warning for yourself? And as you read through this passage, you can pick out a whole bunch of specific instructions about how we as people of God are supposed to live. It's with this view we conduct ourselves. I've even listed them. So he says in verse 2, watch out. He says in verse 3, put no confidence in the flesh. He says in verse 7, what would gain to me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, because of that, I have lost all things. Verse 10, he says what? I want to know Christ. Verse 12, he says, I press on to take hold. In verse 13, you have forgetting what's behind and straightening forward to what's ahead. And in verse 14, he's pressing on to the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what that shows me and why I can be so encouraged about what God is doing? Is that He is directly involved with each of our lives and He has laid out for us how we as His children are to conduct ourselves. If you've ever made a cake, you follow instructions. 
If you're at a job and you have a job description, you seek to fulfill and abide by that particular job description. What we are given because of our God and His love for us, He has given us a list of how we then are to live and how we are then to conduct ourselves. Because these themselves, whether it's attitude, whether it's action, whether it's just preparation of your mind, all of this is laid out for us now as the people of God. The instruction given to us in this passage alone is the blessing of our Lord setting out for us our responsibility. Remember in last week when we looked at, oh no, the week before, sorry, when we looked at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, when it said that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, this is what contributes to that working out and us edifying and us being saved as the Scriptures puts it. It is this blessing that God involves himself with his work. And that never changes. So it's like when I read in there what it says, and if, if on some point you think differently, then to God will make clear to you. So in verse 15, because God's directly involved, and as we are seeking to abide by this, if we start straying off, if we start looking at other things, if we, as what happened with Joshua and God says to Joshua, as you walk, follow the Ark of the Covenant, don't look to the left hand, don't look to the right hand, look always at God, at the Ark of the Covenant. When your eyes start wandering off, we have God's direct involvement where he says that he will make it clear to you that you have some other priority. He will make it clear to you that you have put something else in front of of him. And once again, that reiterates the truth of Philippians 1 6 of God working with us. The potter working with the clay. If you've got turn to Psalm 121, I was reading that this morning. This is the extent or one of the greatest descriptions of God's involvement with us. And I, this is why I am encouraged. It says in Psalm 121, I don't have it up there, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Did you know, or do you understand, the fact that the creator of heaven and earth is directly involved with shaping your life? that his hand is in every part, even the part that you don't want, even the part that you don't want him to be involved with. He is involved with you. And that's why he says, as, look, if you think differently, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. What does he mean by that? In the most simplest of terms, it means this. What have we attained? We've attained knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Are we still growing in that relationship? Yes. But we've attained it. 
And in that relationship, we are blessed not only with being born again, not only with being called a son or a daughter of God, not only having our names written in the book of life, but we have Him dwelling within us as His Spirit. And we are called then to live in accordance with that calling. If this is who you are, as I shared last week, this then is how you live. To live in accordance with the calling, that say Ephesians chapter 4, 1, when it says to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. Where it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, to walk worthy of God, who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Where it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, to walk worthy of the Lord. This is the calling for you and I to live in accordance to what we have already attained in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Born again of the Spirit, given a new heart. Now here's what takes place. Because we've been given a new heart, because we've been given a new spirit, then we should be living differently because we now belong to a different kingdom. If we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light, then we should be representative of that light. If we now have the Spirit of God who dwells within us, then we should reflect the fruit of the Spirit. If we should, ha- we should be compassionate because our God is compassionate. He has now renewed us to carry His DNA of love, of mercy, of grace, and that should be evident. So much so that when people see us, they see a definite difference. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said, there can be no comparison between a soaring seraph, it's an angel, and a crawling worm. It should not be a comparison, but a contrast. I'm going to read something because it's a big quote, and I'll bring it back up with the last part. But he says this, we should compel our critics not to confess that moralists are good and Christians a little better, but while the world is darkness, we should be manifestly light. And while the world lies in the wicked one, we should be the most evidently of God and overcome the temptations of that wicked one. Wide as the poles asunder are life and death, light and darkness, health and disease, purity and sin, spiritual and carnal, divine and sensual. There should be no difficulty in detecting the Christian from the worldling than in discovering a sheep from a goat or a lamb from a wolf. See, for a lot of us, we might be viewed as being just really good people as Christians, but there should be a definitive distinction between a follower of Christ and a non-follower of Christ. And what's great, what is great, is because if we are sealed with the Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, being sealed with the Spirit, that is molding us, that is changing us, that is working within us so that those distinctions become even greater, not so that we are above people, but rather so we might accurately represent who Jesus Christ is to them. And that is our current status. That's the encouragement. Yes, with all my weaknesses, all my failings, the blessing is that in Christ we have attained by grace through faith, imbued with the blessing of having Him. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, dealing with me personally. Working within me as an individual, and that as an individual, we make a difference in the community corporately as a church. That's what our God is doing. And that's the first encouragement that we can draw from there, that our God is working. Given the second point, 
what this world is. Verses 17 to 19 says this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with, my, with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. This is the state of the world today. In verses 18 and 19, we read of the reality of this life, that we are in this world, and this world is against all the things of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, The carnal mind is enmity against God, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. In fact, James even goes on to say that friendship with the world is enmity. And that word enmity means active opposition or hostility with God. That's in James 4.4. So the status we find ourselves in and the fact that God is working with us is placed within a world that is directly against everything God stands for. That's why it's referred to as what? A battle. As a warfare. And, and you see this. You see this. You see, as you walk around in the world today, being in the world but not of the world, you see a people living as enemies of the cross. We read that in 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You talk about Jesus, what do you hear? They don't want to hear it. Uh, you mean to tell me that God's going to condemn me because I don't measure up to his standard? Yeah. And then you're viewed as being bigoted, you're being viewed as being prejudiced, you're viewed as being narrow-minded. Why? Because it is the things of God, and the world is against the things of God. It's because we find ourselves amongst the people whose end is destruction. Matthew seven thirty-one and 25, 41. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. He, God, will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, and to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I find it fascinating how a lot of us as Christians will follow a lot of things that the world promotes. We'll look at what people do and think that's amazing. Now, uh, please, don't get me wrong. If, uh, yeah, you can learn. I'm not saying you can't learn. I'm not saying you can't learn from people. But we, we cannot use the ways of the world when it comes to the things of God. Why? Because the ways of the world are destined for destruction. To take advice, take, to take advice, to take lessons from it. I'm not saying you can't draw those things, but you cannot allow that to be the be-all and end-all for how you conduct yourself in life, especially how you conduct yourself in your spiritual life because they're in direct contrast to each other. And yet that's where we find ourselves. This is what the world is. We're amongst the people whose end is destruction. We're amongst the people whose concern is themselves. Second Timothy chapter 3 Verses 1 to 4. Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, forgiving, sorry, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see this everywhere. I, I remember a little while ago, just and, and, and my family, we, we might have a chuckle every so often, but when you see little kids lose it with their parents, and they just, the way they yell at their parents, the way they scream to get what they want, and like, I'm so thankful I've got great kids, godly kids. But like, but you see this, and this now has become the standard, this, the stock standard. No, you can't. I, I remember I was watching a news, a, a news broadcast, and a lady sat there and said, well, you have to ask a child's permission before you change their nappy. Because, because if, you cha- if, you, if, you, if you change their nappy without asking or getting their consent, then that can be considered as being sexually molesting the child. Ridiculous, eh? But that's the standard of what the world is. That's how things are going now, where, where children have run of the home, as opposed to the parents, where the children have more power. I have a friend who's a minister of a church, and his daughter, his daughter said that her, she was being abused physically in the home, which wasn't happening. But the rigmarole, and he was like, why would you say that? And it's because she wanted to get her own way. And it just shows how that you have this influx. And this is the state. This is what the world is. This is what we're in. We have to understand that this is not our home. We're just passing through. Jim Reeves. Does anyone know who Jim Reeves is? Jim Reeves, the old singer, the old crooner. That's one of his songs. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't be at home in this world anymore. It's a, it's a great old song. I feel like singing it right now, but I won't. I will spare you. I will spare you such stuff, okay? Okay, <laughs> okay. But that's, that, that's just it. We, we, we are just, we are pilgrims in this world because this is what the world is. Why hold on to that which will pass away? Pastor John was praying this morning. He said, heaven and earth, as he prayed, heaven and earth will pass away. That is definite. That will happen. Therefore, we should be investing into what is to come, not in what is to here and the now. Because this is what the world is. And lastly, there are people who swap good and evil. This is what the world is. The world is now, you stand up for what is holy and righteous, you're viewed as a kook and as a crazy man. You are viewed. To do, to do some, I remember many years ago where a young a young lady was being robbed at a house. The guy fell off his, her roof, injured himself. He sued her and won. Because he injured himself robbing her, he sued her and won. This is, this is, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is what is happening today. This is what the world is, and this is how we are. Now, how on earth can we get an encouragement for hope knowing what this world is? You know what the blessing is? That we are not in this world alone. Not only are we given the Spirit of God to dwell within us, not only are we given His Word, the example given in verse 17 from Paul is what? Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
You know what the encouragement and the hope that we are given as the people of God within the world today, with the way the world is, you know what that is? Each other. That you look to your left, you look to your right, you look in front of you, you look behind you, you have your brothers and sisters in the Lord that are given to you to enable you to walk triumphantly and victoriously for the things of God. That's what the blessing is. That is the hope. That is the expectation that is placed upon us as the people of God. This is what God has granted you and I. The fabulous Jonathan Huey who is teaching today. Pastor Ben and Pastor John, you, you, Jimmy, you, your brothers and sisters that are either side of you, God has given to you to equip ourselves by being with people who are like-minded, with people who share the same heart, who have the same vision, who have the same desire to surround ourselves with people who, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, will spur each other on toward love and good works who will bear one another's burdens, who will uphold one another in prayer. This is the hope that we are given, the hope that is given to us in Christ, found within the church of God. You see, this is the blessing and encouragement, given what the world is and the current status of God being involved in my life, the encouragement and the hope granted to me is that God is working in your life too. And that God is shaping you and growing you in your specific context, where in your context, you in turn can then bless me and encourage me and support me and vice versa. Does that make sense? That's where the hope is. That's where the assured confidence is granted in the person of Christ. But even with such encouragements as these, we have been, that that we have been given, is solidified in the knowledge that the here and now we experience at the moment will come to an end. And this is our guaranteed future. This is what gives our hope substance. It says in verses 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So given our current status, given what the world is, means this third encouragement is in the form of our guaranteed future, our hope in which our future rests. And this comes in the form of several facts that Paul lays out for us in these two verses. First fact, looking at where I'm from, our citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. So I'm from New Zealand. I became an Australian citizen, ooh, maybe 2000 and what? About 2003, 2003, 2004? Yeah, 2003, because that was the year Australia beat New Zealand in the World Cup semi-final. I remember that one. It hurt. Okay. But in 2003, I became an Australian citizen. And what's fascinating about coming naturalized as an Australian citizen is that now I can reap the benefits and the privileges and the advantages of being a citizen of this country. I couldn't do that before as a New Zealand citizen living in this country. But once I was naturalized, I got to reap those reward. I'm now afforded those things. That now is my current status as an Australian citizen. Now, 
if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in Him, you are a citizen of heaven. And you know what that means? That means you can now be afforded the benefits, the privileges, the advantages of the kingdom of heaven. That is now available to you. Remember in First Thessalonians chapter two, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse twelve. I said, "It says, walk worthy of God, who has called you where into His kingdom and glory." And being one who belongs to that kingdom now means not only you have everything that kingdom is available, that everything that kingdom has is available to you, but it also means that you are a representative of that kingdom which means that we as the people of God are to have the same values, the same standards, to adhere to the same things that the kingdom of God promotes. Those are the things that we are to promote. Our conduct, our responses, this is where we are looking. And what I find interesting, if that is where I'm from, if I know where I'm from, well then I should know then how I am to live. I should know by what standard I'm supposed to adhere to, to know that you are a citizen of heaven. The second thing, now the second fact, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, oh, if you've got your Bibles, turn there. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, I want to actually share this with you. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. In verse 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the head cornerstone. What I like about this is that not only do you belong to another kingdom, not only does your citizenship in heaven, but it says here that you're not alone. With, it says, with God's people and or members of his household. That's who you are. See, when you say, this is where I'm from, I'm a citizen of heaven with you. I'm a citizen of heaven with my brothers and with my sisters. So that's the first thing of, our, of where our hope should lie, our, our guaranteed future. Look at where I'm from. Second one, to look up. It says this in the, in the verse, It says our citizenship is in heaven. We look up. Heaven is our destination in Christ, through faith in him. I know where I am going. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13, we are given that assurance of salvation. This is the record that God has given to us, his son. uh, Given to do us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. And he who has not the Son of God has not life. But verse 13 is the kicker. He goes, these things I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. See, you know that is your destination. So if you look where I'm from, you know that is where you're going, that your citizenship is, which means to look up. A lot of us, I think, as Christians have forgotten to do that. A lot of us as Christians spend all our time looking at everything else that's around us. We forget that, hang on, my home is heaven. My home is in the presence of my God. 
why, why am I spending so much time investing into this when I have this to look forward to? We've forgotten to look up. Uh, Dave Hunt, many years ago, wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Heaven? Whatever Happened to Heaven? And I think I shared a quote a few years ago about how for today's first, con- first, um, first world church is that heaven is the success of a home and of a job that makes a lot of money. And we spend all our time investing into that. No, no, we are to look beyond that. That's why we are encouraged to see, to look beyond. Therefore, I am to look up, looking at Jesus, looking at the signs of the times, looking to where my help comes from, looking, and even, and I really enjoy Pastor John doing this for me, and I have another brother down in Victoria, Mike, looking at Israel, looking at Israel and watching what's happening in, in, in the country of Israel because they're all indicators of what's happening and of God's narrative. And that's the third fact. So not only to look where I'm from, my citizenship, I'm to look up to heaven, but also to look at Jesus' return. It says, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This is the greatest of hopes, and something that many Christians have come to put to the side or on the back burner. It is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Jesus promised his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. It says, My Father, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. To look to Jesus. One of the, if you read throughout the first century church, if you read throughout church history, one of the greatest motivating factors for a lot of these great men of God was that Jesus was coming back. Have you ever noticed when your parents go away on a trip when you were younger, when your parents go away on a trip and you're like, hey, and if your parents ever come back early and surprised you, <laughs> you know, and your house is trashed and you're like, oh, I wish I was ready. Yeah, and I, I, I've done that, like when you know, the kids have been at home and my wife and I, we've come back early, and then the first thing when we walk in the house, the kids are like, oh, you're home early. They don't trash the house too much. But you know, this, is, this is what it's like, though. This is why we are told within the Scriptures to be ready, to be prepared, because how is he going to return? He's going to return like a thief in the night. And so a lot of us, we're like the kids when the parents go and think, hey, I don't think I'm going to trash the place. I think I'm going to do what I want. No, no, because the Lord could return at any time. Um, actually, just something, just Acts chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, this is when the disciples were all standing there and Jesus was taken up to heaven. Verse 11 says, Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And if we live with this knowledge that Jesus is coming, is coming back, our lives are to be lived with the expectancy of the temporary nature of this world. The, the condemnation 
of Israel was due to the fact that they could discern nature, but they couldn't discern the signs of the times, that they were ignored. You look here in Matthew chapter 14, verses 2 to 3, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He says, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. When you look in the likes of Timothy passage and you see the way the world is going, you see how everything is progressing in accordance with the biblical narrative, with what God's plan is doing, which is going to culminate in his return for his church. And so the hope we have is to know, yes, he's coming back, but to be ready for his return. Given what the world is today, we see numerous indicators that society is traveling in that direction. And it's going to fulfill in that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 to 4, which I've already read. But there, the Spirit clearly says, in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You see this taking place in a lot of so-called professed churches nowadays. You, even looking at the animosity and the, the, the aggression towards biblical truths is taking place. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You hear this as well. The reality is this. According to, as you look around what the Bible says, as you look around in the world today, Christ is coming back. And the hope that we have is that the hardships that we experience, the struggles that we go through, the difficulties that we face, the obstacles that we need to overcome, all of those things that we go through in life, we are comforted by this fact, it will come to an end. It will come to an end. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. It will come to an end, Therefore, where your hope and my hope is to rest is not within the things of this world, not with the things that I can earn, not with the things that I can possess, but within the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Why hope? Why hope? Because Jesus is in our current status, in the here and now, involving himself with everything that we do. Why hope? Because Jesus rules over what this world is, and he has provided us with each other, as well as with everything else. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Read through Ephesians chapter 1 to look at what you have and who you are in Christ, to know that he is over this world, despite what this world is. Why hope? Because Jesus guarantees our future in his return. And maybe he comes, if you read in First Thessalonians, he, may, he might come and he might sound the trump of the archangel and we might go be called up to be with him in the air or we get called, to glory, called home to glory. But he is going to return. Are you ready? That's why. That's why we can hope, which means that you and I, as the followers of Jesus Christ, we're to look and understand and know where we're from. We are citizens of heaven. That's where we are. 
we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms, we are told. Well, which means you and I have to have our vision in the right way to look up. To look up. Yes, sometimes we'll have difficulties that will, will, will hinder our vision. Yes, we'll sometimes have struggles that it might make, diff- make it difficult to see Him. But as I, I shared, oh, I remember years ago, on a cloudy day when you cannot see the sun, the sun is no less glorious. The sun is no less glorious. It's just that something has impaired my vision of that. And so look up. Look up to where you're going. Look up to where your help comes from, and which means that we are to always look to Jesus' return. To know, to know that I could be going home today. God might say, Joe, I've finished my work in you. It's time to come home. That could happen today. That could happen tomorrow. It could happen to any one of us at any time. And so it makes sense for you and I to be ready. It makes sense for you and I to have our hope in the right place. So I want to close with a couple of encouragements that I read. One, once again from Charles Spurgeon, he said, Oh, that he would sit as king in our hearts, like Solomon upon his throne of gold, Thine we are, Jesus, and all that we have, rule thou without rival. Our hope is in the Christ that rules without rival, that there'll be nobody. He is our God, and there is no one else. And Charles Wesley, who wrote this, it was one of his hymns, Oh, that we might see our guide, and that the word were given. Come, Lord of hosts, that the waves divide, and land us all in heaven. Take comfort, be encouraged, have confidence, one, that your God's working in you, two, that he is in control of this world, and three, he knows our destination and where we're going to end up. And in that, have your hope. I'm going to close in prayer. Um, I'll ask the music team to come up and then we'll sing as well. Just join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the example and for the truths that Paul has laid out for us. I pray you will help us to have the vision for the right things. I pray you will help us to invest into things of eternity with eternal significance and not in the things of of temporary value, of earthly importance. Father, help us to have our hope in you and in you alone, to be looking up, to, to know where I'm from, to look forward expectantly at your imminent return. Father, we thank you for such a wonderful promise, and I pray that we as your people, as we leave here today, we will not let our hearts be troubled because we believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.